Welcome into Locked On Knicks on a night where the Knicks had their best offensive performance of the season, their best offensive performance in a couple of years, a 143 to 120 trouncing of the Atlanta Hawks. And where to even begin with this? Career highs and points for both R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson in the same game. Almost too much for my heart to handle. Plus, Kevin Knox had a fantastic game. Marcus Morris quietly had a fantastic game. Julius Randle had an awesome game. You can pretty much look up and down the roster. Everybody had awesome games, including head coach Mike Miller. So we're going to get into all of that and more in this, quite frankly, historic edition of Locked On Knicks, where the Knicks blew out their opponent next. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is all rebound, back up off the glass. It's good. RJ brings the Knicks to the run. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane, knocks foul from behind. Count it, and one. As Fisher pumps his fist. Becomes infectious. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw in New York, Alex Wolf in the Dirty Jurors, and the New York Knicks looking like a whole new team under Mike Miller, wiping the floor with the Atlanta Hawks, a 143-120 to victory, the type of game that the Knicks were on the wrong end of all season with David Fisdale, Alex, and now they get it right. They blow out Atlanta. And for the first time all year, we didn't have to sweat out a Knicks win. This one came clean and easy and was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm just going to jump right into it early. Like, I wasn't even necessarily planning on hopping into this right away because I think the players deserve so much credit for this game. But the the reason that it went quick and easy and, you know, painless down the stretch, I think has a lot to do with Mike Miller. Like, first off, he coached a great game which is awesome. You know, he ran a lot of, of great offensive sets and the players were executing. Defense looked good. I mean, Trey Young kind of went off, but it almost seemed like by design that they were just going to let Trey Young get what he wants as long as they weren't letting the rest of the team get what they wanted. And that worked like a charm. I mean, that's a strategy that you can feel pretty safe rolling out against the Hawks who, you know, without John Collins, Young is about their only consistent offensive contributor right now anyway. But also, I mean, Miller managed to really impress me with his his ability to call timeouts, you know, at opportune times. And, uh, you know, there was one in particular that kind of stood out to me because it was shortly into the third quarter. And the Knicks were up by, I think it was 28 points at that time. Uh, they'd gone on a little they'd gone on a little run that had put them up over 30. And I, I think they'd gotten the lead up to 32 or something. And the buck or the. That was a weird thing. It's because I'm getting to the next thing. The Hawks had gotten uh, a couple easy buckets, and he called a timeout, and he was, like, stern with the team and was like, look, you guys got to tighten it up. This game isn't over yet, blah, blah, blah. And the reason that I almost said the Bucks a second ago is because it reminded me, it took me, like, on a flashback to the blowout against the Bucks, the second to last game of Fisdale's tenure, where uh, Mike Budenholzer called a timeout in a very similar situation, maybe even up by the exact same amount of points. I mean, his team was up by about 30 on the Knicks at that point, called a timeout because the Knicks had gotten a couple easy buckets, 
reamed his team out, and then they went out there and continued dominating again. And in that very same game, down 30-whatever points at the end of that third quarter, Fisdale was, like, smiling and clapping and high-fiving his players and acting like nothing was wrong. So it was, I guess, just very uh, refreshing to me to have that happen where Mike Miller, you know, recognized that the team had let up a couple easy buckets and was like, look, like, you guys have to be accountable for this all game long and called the timeout and really drilled it into them that, like, don't take your foot off the gas, you know, keep beating up on these guys because you have been all game. And, you know, then we can finally, you know, get this blowout win that we've been trying to get. And uh, and they did. And I I don't know. That was super impressive to me. I think that's it just feels like the first thing that I should mention, because it's not the first time that we've seen the Knicks with a 20 plus point lead this year. But it is the first time that we've seen them comfortably hold on to it down the stretch. And I, I think that his his timely use of timeouts was very good for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to you about it pre-show, but to me, this was such a excellent sign of progress from that Warriors game a, a week back where the Knicks were in a similar situation, 20-plus point lead at, at one point in the third quarter and, and just really gave it away to Golden State. And, and uh, you got to figure – Miller at some point during these huddles referenced that and said, hey, remember what happened in San Francisco where we had to go into overtime to beat those guys for no apparent reason? We absolutely cannot let that happen again. The way Trey Young is scoring the ball, it was certainly plausible that Atlanta was going to score enough that the Knicks suddenly went cold and, and lost their focus and committed a couple turnovers that they could have gotten back into this game. Instead, for really the first time all year, the Knicks put their foot down on an opponent's throat and, and sort of made the fourth quarter. I mean, it, it was I, I the phrase I used, the phrase that was used on the broadcast was it was an all-star game. It was just it was a lot of fun just watching them chuck different lobs to Mitch and basically try and figure out how many different configurations and permutations of passing they could do to set up a sequence that would end with Mitchell Robinson dunking the ball. And you only get to do that if you play your ass off through the first three quarters. And the Knicks absolutely did this one so far and away, their most complete performance of the year. Really, I mean, one of their more complete performances the last two seasons. I mean, you could certainly make an argument one of the Dallas games, given how really, really good at this point the Mavericks are, was the Knicks' best game of the year. But this was certainly the Knicks' most complete game of the year and most dominant game of the year. And, and to that point, it's almost difficult to figure out where to start on the player front. I mean, Marcus Morris, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., I mean, Kevin Knox, all, all guys you could argue had, if not their best game of the season, one of their better games of the season. So I'll leave it up to you, Alex. Which of those guys really flashed to you and stood out as a real positive in, in this game where so many good things happened for the Knicks? I'm going to... Man... Tough it's question. Like, I know. It's like making me pick my favorite pizza topping. Um, and that's tough because I like all pizza toppings. Uh, not all of them. I like most. Uh, I would say that... Uh, Let's see. There, there's definitely some that I would not like, and then we could probably say like, "Oh, Andrea Bargnani is uh, is uh, sardines or something." But you know, in this game, everybody was good. It was all pepperonis and sausages and peppers and all kinds of good stuff. Um, I'm gonna go R.J. Barrett first. Uh, you know, I think just it, you know, my, I'll make my deciding vote that he had he shot one shot better from the field than Mitchell Robinson did. Cause it's between those two for MVP of this game. So he shot 10 to 13, Mitch shot nine to 13 for the game. I'm going to say RJ because he came in with 27 points, six rebounds. As I just said, shot 10 to 13, two, three from three shot five, eight from the line, which is an ideal, but is 
it looks better when you consider that he, I think, started off 0 for 3 uh, from the line. So he made his last five attempts from there, if my math is correct. And just in general, I, it seemed like RJ, first off, got some foul calls, which is great to see because, you know, I've been lamenting that he hasn't been getting foul calls lately. And today he finally got the benefit of the doubt on some of these where it's like, oh, he's going in and suddenly he can't move his arms. I wonder if that's because someone's grabbing him, you know, and uh, he finally started getting those calls. He was finishing through contact in the best way possible. Like we've seen, he made a couple nice cuts um, that resulted in layups and dunks. He had his transition opportunities that he capitalized on. He made a two out of three threes, which I mentioned, you know, which is always great to see from him. And he had a couple really, really good dunks. One where he blew by DeAndre Hunter, who's, you know, a guy who, uh, if if we were talking about in college last year, you know, that would have been one of the guys that you would have said, oh, if, if Duke plays, you know, when Duke plays Virginia, that's who they're going to put on him because he's the one guy that could stop RJ. You know, RJ blew right by him like it was nothing. And uh, put a pretty nice hammer dunk down on on DeAndre Hunter at one point in the game too, which is one of the final exclamation points of the Knicks, like really putting this game away. Um, and just in general, I mean, he made smart plays all game. He had uh, he had a really nice assist to uh, Julius Randle at one point, and that was his only one. But you know, it, it's not like RJ wasn't moving the ball. He just knew that he was feeling it, and he was you know taking advantage of that. And, I mean, he did all this damage in only 28 and a half minutes, too, which makes it that much more impressive. He didn't have to play a high-minute load to reach 27 points and, you know, especially get enough shot attempts to even do that. So, all in all, just an amazing game for RJ, I thought. I don't know. It it was uh, – it's tough to call it because some of his early season games were so complete with, like, points, rebounds, assists, defensive stats, you know, just great defense all around, everything else, but – I would say definitely one of his top five games this year without question, probably top three, maybe even top two. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll get no argument for me. And my favorite play from this one was that backdoor cut. He had to beat Reddish because it was something we saw him do a lot early in the season. And I think is sort of the wear and tear of Fisdale literally trying to kill him by playing him 40 minutes a night. Uh, came to fruition that part of his game has disappeared a little bit and you've seen him settle at times and not have quite as much lift around the basket more than anything else he just looked refreshed in this game and I think it was just such a weight off the back of the entire team collectively to for once not be in a close game in, in, in terms of games that they could theoretically win because for the most part this season the Knicks have either been getting blown out or, or they're fighting for their lives and scrapping every single second and I think the mental weight and you see this all the time in blowouts uh, of not having to do that allowed RJ and this team entirely to really play free and I just I don't think he was overthinking things he was just attacking doing what he does best and you see when he gets confident and he gets rolling and going up against a group of wings in Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter who were either his own age or Vince Carter just not nearly enough athleticism left to stop him at this point he he, he was kicking butt and, and that makes total sense to me he should kick butt in this matchup and and he fully did and took full advantage of it 
And we are going to take our first break of the show. We wanted to remind you today's show is presented by Casper, and the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LOCKEDNBA and using our code in all caps, LOCKEDNBA, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Mitchell Robinson, I want to get to, but the second guy that really stood out to me tonight, uh, and uh, I'm a notorious hater of his game, is Dennis Smith Jr. I I thought this was so far and away his best performance of the year, finished with eight points, five rebounds, five assists, um, a steal, and a block on Trey Young as well, and only 12 minutes of action. But I I thought this was crucial because, in my mind, after he he was a healthy scratch last game, at least as far as we know, he was coming off an illness and he he was allegedly available to play. Um, He he was a guy who I wasn't sure was going to be in Mike Miller's rotation, and I, I didn't really have any problem with that. With the way Alfred Payton um playing with the equity that frank has built up over the course of the year in, in my mind like dsj was gonna have to kick some serious ass in practice and really show miller that there was a reason to play him beyond what the knicks traded to get him and, and miller i mean clearly either saw something in practice or just saw the opportunity in a game that was looking like it could potentially be a blowout to get smith some minutes and, and he took full advantage a couple of really nice passes he had this sweet little jump off to Damian Dotson in transition for a three that he ultimately missed had that beautiful bouncer inside to Bobby Portis and all in all what I liked most from DSJ was just sort of the swagger that he has and it's it's what we've been talking about with Frank the last few podcasts like when he's confident he's a whole different player this is the first time all year I've seen DSJ play with any semblance of of the I I would say the confidence that defined him his whole career until he got to the NBA and he played with pace and energy. He was aggressive, but didn't force anything. It it was just exactly what I want out of Dennis Smith Jr. And it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to play that way against better competition. Yeah. Well, and it's, this isn't the first time we've seen that from him either. You know, like he showed that in, uh, I know the, the Dallas game at the garden, he showed that for sure. You know, that was kind of his first, like, breakout game of this season, or so we thought. And then he sort of regressed. So, like, it, you know, it's like you said, we're going to need to see some consistency out of him. But, I mean, I, I think it's well-documented enough on this show and on Twitter and wherever else I have an opportunity to express my opinions. I really like – I do really like Dennis Smith's game when he's playing the way that he should be playing, which I think he did tonight. And, you know, he kind of – I think it's I think it's underrated with him, and we talk about this with Frank all the time. But I think that he just needs to be confident right from the start, and that's a big difference maker for him, because in this game he he came down and on one of his first possessions brought the ball down and uh, was given a ton of space at the three point line by his defender and even like took a step inside the line for a second, then reconsidered, did a little step back and canned a three. And I think that that was just kind of the, the little spark that he needed, uh, you know, as far as confidence goes, it, he had also right after he'd come in, uh, made one or two free throws on a, on more or less an intentional foul by Cam Reddish to get, uh, I think it was Deandre Hunter out of the game. Cause he had gotten like poked in the eye or something. And, uh, so he only made one or two free throws and I was like, man, like, I hope that doesn't mess with his confidence at all. And then he came down and made that three, and I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. And and then he put together, I mean, like you said, it was only 
13 minutes in total, which was, you know, the least out of the three Knicks point guards. But, um, you know, he had eight points, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, he had a steal and a block, and the the block was actually pretty ferocious. Like it set up a uh, an RJ uh, jumper on the other end on the fast break. So I don't know. I thought I thought he had good energy all around. I thought that he was playing good enough defense, and then you know translating it to really good offense. You know where he was looking for teammates, and you know not not necessarily just looking for his own shot or whatever. Like he sometimes does if he's trying to get himself going. He was just kind of looking for whatever the best play was, which is what you want to see from him. And, uh, you know, again, with Miller, I, I give him credit for throwing DSJ out there and and also not leaving him out there to flounder. You know what I mean? Like, like DSJ did struggle for a minute once or twice, and he pulled him back out of the game. And that's important because you don't want to, you don't want to tank the progress that you made by letting him sit out there and, you know, get roasted, you know, either on defense or on offense or whatever the case you want to, you want to try to, you know, build off of this. So I, I think it, the way that Miller managed him tonight was very smart and hopefully it's a, a building block to start getting uh, in fizz speak, getting DSJ right. Because quite frankly, I mean, I've already seen a couple rumors about teams looking potentially for point guards around the league. Uh, now that like trade season is officially opened and the Knicks have a very tradable guy in Alfred Payton on the team who's been playing really well. But, you know, if you can justify trading him because Dennis Smith Jr. starts playing better, then that's awesome. And like more power to the Knicks if they can pull that off, because, you know, if Payton continues playing how he is, the Knicks might be able to actually get something attractive for him in a trade. And, and that would be just great for the franchise all around. So I guess we'll see as far as that goes. But uh, Dennis Smith really, I mean, if he can keep doing this and build upon this and kind of return to form as the player that we saw before, then maybe we're in for good things all around, you know, both in, in trades and in having, you know, a young player who has corrected himself again to be kind of the guy that he was drafted to be. All right, uh, let's get into the guy you wanted to talk about, Mitchell Robinson. Statistically, a pretty clear cut, I would say, his best game of the season, 22 points. 13 rebounds, two blocks in 29 minutes of action. And it, it's weird because I, I would say, I mean, a, a lot of the the points, not, not a lot of the points, but a good chunk came in garbage time where he was just getting like open lob pass after open lob pass. But what really stood out to me, and I mean, again, this is a theme throughout the entire team, was his activity from the get-go. And it's been this way for four, five, six games now. But tonight was the pinnacle of that. And a Hawks team that just didn't really have anyone with the requisite athleticism to match up with him, with John Collins serving the final game or two of, of his suspension. Mitch, it felt like he got his hand on every single rebound, offensive or defensive. He didn't necessarily get to all of them, but he got his hand on all of them. And he was constantly sprinting the floor in transition, had that ferocious, ferocious dunk to, I think, end the third quarter. Um, I counted four lob dunks in the fourth. I'm oh, sorry, the big dunk was to end the first. He, he literally just about ate a shot from Kevin Herter where he just volleyball spiked it out. And it was just a level of effort and speed had that near recovery on the loose ball where he was just charging down the sideline after he poked it away. He was just basically an agent of chaos throughout this game, just creating havoc everywhere for the Hawks. And incredibly, one of the plays that stood out to me was one of his quieter moments. He had this sequence just like five or six minutes into the game where Trey Young switched onto him and Trey basically tried to work him like he he got inside, pulled it back out, tried to cross him up. 
went back in, and, and Mitch just totally shut it down. Trey passes it off to Alan Crabb, and, and then Crabb drives, tries to throw a cross-court pass that Mitch was able to deflect out of bounds. And, and it just, like, if, if you ever read uh, my off-reference, uh, like, Zach Lowe's, like, 10 things I like and don't like column, you, you always see, like, over the years, uh, sequences like that from guys like Draymond Green, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, like the best, best defensive players in the league who can affect multiple possessions against multiple players in, in quick succession. And, and that's what Mitch had for that little two-play run. And, and that just really stood out to me as a great moment in this game. And, and another reminder, when we've gotten a little bit less this year than last year, uh, of just the wrecking ball he could eventually be defensively once he fully figures out how to play on that end. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought that he showed such a great amount of focus um, in this game, and he really has been lately. I'm actually just pulling up the stats now just because I was curious. Ever since the tweet, we'll call it here, uh, when Mitch tweeted, uh, he tweeted after the uh, Bucks game, got to work on myself with a fist up emoji, which clearly he has been. I just looked up, there's been seven games played since then. In that time frame, Mitch is averaging... 14 points per game on 70% shooting. He is averaging eight rebounds, uh, one and a half blocks, one steal, and only two and a half personal fouls in 27 minutes per game. So uh, Mitch, I will say, is definitely a man of his word as far as promise something and deliver it. Uh, Because he said he got to work on himself. And literally from that moment forth, he has been a completely different player. Um, One thing I'll say is like, I thought he struck a great balance in this game. We talked a little bit about it, I think, on the last pod, about how he almost seemed like he was preserving himself in the first half against the Nuggets and seemed to step slow you know, on a lot of plays, but also almost seemed like he was intentionally not going after things to avoid that foul trouble. And in this game, I never got that impression at all. I mean, he came out and was just... He's like focusing his energy in different ways other than trying to swat every possible shot. He's focusing his energy on just playing good defense, you know, being vertical, uh, just using his using his size to kind of gobble guys up, even if he doesn't necessarily block them. He was playing the passing lanes like crazy. Uh, Probably my favorite play of the game, if not one of my favorite plays of the whole season, uh, Mitch, you know, was playing up at the top and got a quick steal. And took it like, for a probably gathered the ball at about half court. Took all of about three or four steps and was at the rim and just threw down this enormous dunk. And it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous possession. Uh, but there was, you know, there was even another one where he almost came up with a steal in the same way and followed it all the way to the sideline and couldn't quite save it in time. But like, you know, dove for it, got on his stomach for it, you know, trying to save it. It was just, it was a great, great, great effort all around for Mitch and. You know, as you said, some of the points, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I guess it sort of, sort of cheapens his career high a little bit of 22 by the fact that so much of it came in garbage time, but couldn't bring myself to care because quite frankly, like if the, you know, if the Hawks would have put in even a tiny bit of effort to stop that, they could have stopped some of them. You know what I mean? So that's on them. Like if they want to give up his career high, all power to them. Cause I'll have fun watching Mitch just take lob after lob after lob any day of the week. I think he had, I I think I actually counted three or four straight possessions down the stretch of the game. It was almost like he was taking turns with different ball handlers, letting different guys feed him for dunks 
uh, because he he I think it was three straight possessions and with three different ball handlers uh, threw down alley oops down the stretch of the game and it was one of the more more electric Knicks sequences in a little while. Um, if memory serves me, it was Kevin Knox through the first, then R.J. Barrett, then Alfred Payton, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, it was awesome, and it was it was so fun to watch. I just I love watching Mitch play basketball when he's playing the way that he was. All right, we're going to take our second break. But first, just a reminder, if you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts based around your team's most passionate moments, and they're great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com slash locked on, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. And I saw a great new Garrett Cole Yankee shirt on there. So if you're a Yankees fan, get on it. If you're a Mets fan, no Pete Alonzo shirts yet. If you're a Knicks fan, we're working on it. We'll figure it out. But go get your shirts today on breakingtea.com slash locked on. I kind of want to move on to a guy I just I just name dropped for a second in Kevin Knox, who I thought also played a great game. I mean, this is probably my favorite Knox game in I don't know how long. It's been a while. I, I mean, it's been a while since he's looks he's looked even close to this dynamite. And I mean, I guess you could look <laughs> one slightly concerning thing. I guess is that he was one of the only negatives on the team, like in plus minus for the night. And I'm like, Oh, that's a little concerning, but so is Alfred Payton. And I would objectively say that he played a good game. I think it was just fluky, you know, one of those fluky instances of plus minus, but, um, knock shot seven of 14 at 17 points. Uh, he had two rebounds, two assists, three steals and a block. And, uh, only one turnover also, which is good to see from him. Not that he's like a turnover machine or anything, but, you know, it's, it's still always nice to see. And just his scoring was so fluid. It was it started to remind me of early in the season when we started to really start to be like, OK, this guy can this guy can really score the ball. And like maybe we actually like have something here as far as a, a guy who's going to maybe turn into a 15 to 20 point per game scorer at some point in his career. And, you know, can play some small ball four and stuff like that. Uh, it, I, I don't know necessarily if it was perfect. Like he did by the end of the game, he only ended up shooting three of nine from three. And I, the three that he made all came in a row. So he didn't space them out throughout the whole game. It was almost three straight possessions. He hit a three pointer uh, in a row. And, you know, that's fine. That's whatever. Um, but like the other ways that he was scoring the ball. I mean, he was making cuts. He was making quick decisions again, which is something we haven't seen from him in a while. He threw down a, a amazing dunk in transition early in the game where he sort of he was like bringing it down and there were two. It was a three on two. So there were two defenders and they're kind of at Knox's left and right side. And he did just enough like with his head and whatever and with his pace to make them think that he might toss it to one of the guys either on his left or his right. And then just threw on the Jets right at the very last moment and threw down just an incredibly powerful dunk. And that was probably my favorite play from Knox of the day. But all in all, like it was just a an awesome, awesome game from him. And, you know, as, as I said during the tease, like for the episode, it's it's kind of hard to pick your favorites even with this. But, you know, he was another one of those guys that I just looked at from this game and was like, all right, I think I have hope again now. You know, I, I don't think there's a single... 
young player on the Knicks tonight that played that I wasn't like, okay, I, you know, some of the best things that I believe about these guys could possibly be true. And, and Knox was one of the, one of the bigger bright spots to me as far as that's concerned. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the biggest positive for me from Knox on the night was just that this was a great opportunity for him to build some confidence. Like I, I think the stats, like, I mean, I guess similar to Mitch, he, he was definitely like a benefit fiduciary of like the way the game devolved and how open it became and and, and like don't get me wrong like he, he had some really good plays like the junk you're talking about was awesome like it was especially because early in the game it still looked like he was like really aiming some of his threes and he pretty badly missed his first two shots from distance that were relatively wide open and, and then just for him to see three in a row go in hopefully that gets him back to not thinking as much when he shoots which I think is really key for him because I think he tends to overthink things in general uh, um the little like tic-tac-toe he had to Mitch where I think I think you referenced it before where DSJ threw a ball to him and he just like sort of like almost instead of gathering it just kind of redirected it to Mitch that that was just a bright spot but I, I didn't like I didn't really see like one part of his game that was like necessarily significantly improved over the last couple of weeks outside of the fact that he was just generally more confident but it was hard to separate the circumstances of the game from him actually improving because again most of this production came when the game was already pretty far out of hand and that's like not again not to demean the performance like obviously I'll always take him shooting 50% from the floor hitting three threes and and finishing with 17 points but I I just similar to DSJ and and even more so because I I thought DSJ showed a little bit more even in his 12 minutes than Knox did in his 23 I I just need to see it against in a better team in a closer game and and especially just I just need him to continue to be confident as a shooter because that's really what's been lacking the last few weeks all in all I still I don't really feel great about Knox but again this was a step in the right direction well another thing though with Knox that stood out to me though was that his defensive intensity was there for a lot of the game as well, which is very important for him. I mean, you know, I mentioned in his overall stat line, he had the three steals and a block and he did have, he had one or two instances at points in this game where he sort of, sort of seemed like he wasn't uh, paying attention. There was one where (laughs) there was one where uh, the Hawks, I think it just inbounded the ball and it was after kind of a confusing sequence where the Knicks were complaining that they didn't get a call or something, but that's got to stop being an excuse for the Knicks because I'm, I'm getting kind of tired. Like they, they do complain a lot about calls and it's like, you, you guys aren't like, you know, the best team in the league or anything. And you're often losing when this happens. So you can't really afford to fall asleep when you don't get a call. You don't think you should be getting, but uh, you know, there's a little confusion going on and Kevin Herter just slipped back door behind Knox and uh, got an easy layup and Miller called. That was another really nice timeout by Miller. Miller called the timeout right there. Probably chewed Knox out a little bit in that huddle amongst others, you know, for losing their cool on that possession. And then for most of the rest of the game, I thought Knox looked locked in. He was playing the passing lanes. Well, Um, I think maybe one or two of his steals that he got credited kind of were lucky draws kind of, you know, where he, he didn't necessarily force the steal. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But his anticipation is pretty good, you know, and that's something that I've noticed with him at his best this year is something that the Knicks can kind of rely on with him is that even if he's not a fantastic defender, especially not a good team defender normally, he at least stays cognizant of where the ball is at a lot of times and will come up with those, you know, fortuitous steals that come up every once in a while over the course of a game. But, yeah, just it, it was... 
I, I will say I was encouraged. I, a lot of the difference was that some of his shots started falling, but the way that he was conducting himself and the fact that the shots were falling are both big pluses to me as, as far as he's concerned. Uh, let's talk, though, about, I guess, I don't know if we should talk about him in tandem. I mean, they, they definitely had separate games. Uh, let's say Julius Randle first. I mean, he had, I thought, another really good game for him. Uh, he he had 17 points on 7 to 15 shooting, but he only took one three-pointer, and he missed it. But the fact is he only took one after the last game where it seemed like he couldn't get the hint that he couldn't make it from three. In this one, he wasn't trying to force the issue and take too many three-pointers. Uh, he also had 11 rebounds and two assists and only one turnover, which is good to see as well because, you know, that's that's been something that he's obviously struggled with at different points in the season when he's being trusted to do too much on offense uh, and relied on to do too much on offense and, and has to force the issue dribbling the ball, which is, is not his strong suit. So... I, I felt pretty good about him. I've been feeling pretty good about Randall for the last few games, at least. Um, it seems like he's finally starting to unlearn some of the things that Fisdale had him doing, and it's just kind of doing what is, you know, it, what makes life easy for him. You know, running pick and rolls, things of that nature. Uh, one of the first buckets of the game was a pick and roll where he ran with Frank, and Frank fed him, and you know, he made an easy bucket inside, and. He had a number of easy buckets inside, a lot of a lot of good like hustle rebound type plays as well. And it was just I don't know, it was a good effort from him. I, I've been I've been surprised and happy with some of the progression that we've seen from Randall under Miller. And I hope it continues and I hope that I hope that a lot of the things that Fizz had kind of drilled into him with the ISOing and the constantly handling the ball and stuff like that keep getting washed away. And we eventually reach a point where Randall is just kind of doing what he does best, which is being a, a great pick and roll threat, being a great north and south, um, you know, player that, you know, can get to the hoop quickly and efficiently and, you know, occasionally peppering the three point shot in when he's feeling it any given night. But, yeah, like I said, all in all, good, good night for him. And, you know, I was uh, very happy with Julius again. Uh, I just I just want to throw out the one three he took was stupid and Miller should have benched him. <laughs> that was that was my one uh, Randall thought on the night because that raised my blood pressure. But uh, outside of that, um, I just saw really, That's the only yeah. difference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. No, that's <laughs> that's that's it's baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I and I and to your point, I, I thought him and Frank had really nice chemistry from the first one, which was like sort of like a no look lob, and then there was another play where Frank. I mean. He, he got into the lane. You could argue like he overpenetrated a little bit. But Randall, and this is what he wasn't doing early in the season, made a late cut to just at the last possible second give Frank an outlet. And, and Frank threw him a bullet pass. Randall caught it, had a really athletic finish all in the same moment. And it was a good job by Randall showing off that effort. But I almost give the most credit on that play to Mike Miller because those are the types of situations that don't work unless you have better floor spacing and guys are in better, smarter positions. And when you have that, a defense can't just pack four defenders into the lane and clog that up no matter what. And it gave Frank a little bit of room to hit Randall on that pass. Uh, I guess the last guy who had a really big game, I figure you were about to bring him up, was Marcus Morris, 22 points on 11 shots. 
three of five from distance, a perfect seven of seven from the line. I almost don't have too much to say about him because you almost expect these performances from Morris at, at this point. But I, I just want to give him all the credit in the world because I, I, I took for granted what was objectively just a great, great game for him as, as he sort of helped key the Knicks blowout. When, and it just sort of feels like when everyone else is rolling, Morris is just this constant and this automatic, and it just is added bonus that when the other guys are hitting shots, you're like, oh, and Marcus Morris is going to make three tough jumpers and get to the foul line. And I think he had all seven free throws either in the first half or by early in the third quarter. And he was just that steady presence for the Knicks that allowed this game to turn into a blowout and allowed them to go on that 21-0 run. Yeah, it kind of just felt like another day at the office for him, didn't it? You know, it was like, you know, Randall, or sorry, Morris, like 21 and a half minutes, scores 22 points. And if you asked me to recall almost any of them, I feel like I barely would because it was just like, it felt so routine. You know, I one play I definitely remember was one of the first plays where I was like, well, the Hawks might be somehow overmatched by the Knicks tonight. They let... Morris get the ball at the top at like one of his like money spots from three and just left him alone and let him take a three pointer. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's a mistake. Like that's a guy that's shooting damn near 50% from three this year. And you're letting him just take whatever he wants as far as three pointers go at the top of the key, like everybody's money spot. Like, (laughs) I don't know. It was a, it was a weird decision on their part. And, you know, it just, it was, it was just another great game for him. I don't know. I, we're kind of out of uh, out of like good adjectives at this point. But you know, he shot over fifty percent overall. Shot sixty percent from three. Converted all seven of his free throw attempts. He's starting to become the one guy that you can really count on to be consistent from the free throw line on this team. And uh, just I don't know. Overall, an awesome game for him. I also just wanted to shout out. I looked this up real quick. Uh, since Miller has taken over, the Knicks are averaging about three and a half more assists per game than they were under Fisdale, which doesn't seem like a super huge number on the surface, I guess. But, I mean, I, I only bring this up because the Knicks tonight had 30 assists compared to the Hawks 20. And I don't know. I mean, it just I thought it was beautiful, beautiful ball movement a lot of times tonight. That we're not super used to seeing. Uh, one that even just came to mind. There was a play where uh, that we didn't mention about about Smith before when we were talking about him, where Smith and Dotson essentially played hot potato for a minute and used it in such a creative way, like just a couple little quick passes between the two of them, that it got Dotson completely free for three. And there are times where I feel like under Fisdale. In that situation, one of them would have just wound up jacking that shot up despite having time to keep working for those extra looks. Like they still had some like eight seconds left on the shot clock or whatever, and they exchanged the ball like three or four times until it finally got back to Dotson, who was basically wide open with about two seconds left on the shot clock. And it was just like a good amount of patience and awareness and, you know, looking for each other. And I don't know. It's just been. Every single game, even the one huge blowout against Portland, has been so much more enjoyable to watch in the Miller era, and it's just getting more enjoyable by the game because these guys seem like they're finally starting to trust one another and trust things to come together based off of an offense because they're actually running one. And that's been really, really encouraging to me. And I'm, 
I, I just I can't wait to keep watching these next few weeks and see. Uh, I'm sure at a certain point they're going to kind of plateau, but right now it just feels like they get better almost every single game at one thing or another, and it's fun to see. Yep, I'm totally with you, and I think that's a great note to uh, wrap up this podcast. Uh, one final note, it was the most points the Knicks scored through three quarters at 109 since 2008. I, I thought that's that was awesome. And it was also... Anyways, it- it was yeah, also the most ahead. points. I think it was the most points they've scored in a in a game in thirty one years or something like that. Oh or wow! Maybe, okay. Or that, maybe that, even that's longer. A they, they mentioned that's that great. at the end of the game as well. Yeah, yeah. It was, and <laughs> and a very nice moment when the <laughs> when the Knicks scored. Uh, what was it when they got to sixty nine points in the first half? That was the most points they had scored in a half all year. So very nice, very nice uh, amount. And then they wound up scoring even more than that. So Incredible. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> wow, the Knicks won in a blowout. I still can't believe it. Anyways, that is it for this edition of Locked On Knicks. We will be back later in the week. Until then, enjoy your week and enjoy this win. Watch the highlights ten times over. You deserve it. 